0: Hey Shambly, you know, all this talk over the past week about the peaceful transition of power uh, has brought to mind for me a common adage uh, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, which makes me think of a poignant biblical story about corruptive power. It, it's the story of King David, uh, who had risen to power, to prominence, become king over all of Israel, known as the man after God's own heart. Those were words from the mouth of God directly about David. And as David rises to power and prominence, he turns his attention, his focus, from God to himself, to his own desires, his own power, And so then we read in the story of David about a moment where he goes out on the balcony and looks out across the rooftops and sees Bathsheba bathing. And he desires her and, and sends for her. And she comes to his chambers and we're told that he sleeps with her even though she's a married woman. And then when she leaves, she later discovers that She's pregnant, and so when news of that comes back to David, his response is to call for her husband, Uriah, and have him sent to the front lines of a battle that they were waging, knowing that would be a death sentence for him. And sure enough, Uriah dies. All of that in an attempt to cover up his own transgressions. But then as we keep reading, There's a moment where a friend of David's named Nathan comes to David and points out to him the error of his ways. Holds a mirror up for David. And David's heart is broken because of his sin. And he repents. And so then we find in the Psalm, Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance written about David and Bathsheba, Uriah and Nathan. So I want to read that for us today, a psalm of repentance that will hopefully be ground for us to consider the role that repentance plays in a reset for us as we start in this new year together. And after I read the scripture, as difficult of a topic as it may be, I want to ask you to affirm with me that this is for us today. So I'll say, This is the Word of God for the people of God, and you say, Thanks be to God. And this can be our scripture for us all, wherever we are today hearing it. We listen now as I read Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 13, Psalm of David. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings, my sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. I've committed evil in your sight. That's why you are justified when you render your verdict, completely correct when you issue your judgment. Yes, I was born in guilt, in sin, from the moment my mother conceived me. And yes, you want the truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this series of sermons that Pastor Stacy and I are preaching that we called Reset are intended to give us all a vision for a reset as we go into this new year. We started with a message about refocusing and how Saul, who became Paul and Ananias, had their sight refocused by God and how we can too as we look for glimpses of where God is at work in our lives and in our world and then we transitioned last week to a message about reassessing as that same person Paul wrote an assessment of the body of Christ the church and how we are given such gracious gifts by God that can be employed with passion devotion and love to bless the world. And now we follow that train of thought from refocusing to reassessing to repenting as a part of having a reset for ourselves, for our church, for our world, for all of creation. Repentance in the biblical sense means to turn around, turn away from one thing and turn toward something else. Like the ancient baptismal ritual practice when the converts, right before they were baptized, would turn to face the East, to symbolize turning from whatever they had been focusing on to turn toward the light of the risen Christ. And this psalm, Psalm 51, is a psalm of repentance that can give us a guide for what it means to experience repentance in our own lives, a turning from and a turning toward the light of Christ. And this psalm starts rooted in the mercy, love, and compassion of God. Right at the beginning, the psalmist names that for David in the midst of what he had been through, what he had done with Bathsheba, with Uriah, what his friend Nathan had brought to his attention. The psalmist begins for David in God's mercy, love, and compassion. And that's significant for us as children of God to know that is where we live and move and have our being no matter where we are what is going on we live in the midst of god's mercy love and compassion and knowing that for ourselves and for each other creates a space where we can be open and honest with each other with ourselves with god even open and honest in confession to name before God. Those things, those ways, those places, habits, attitudes about us that don't belong, that get in the way of our relationship with God and with each other. We find that when we know that we live in God's grace, then we have the freedom in the space to be honest about those things, just as David was about his relationship with Bathsheba and what he did as a function of it, which gave the space for David, according to the psalmist, to then name that before God, to name his brokenness, his sin, We hear David confess, I've sinned before you, God. David goes so far as to say, I've sinned before you and you alone, God. Which doesn't mean to say that his sin didn't impact or affect anyone else, because clearly it did. But it's as if David is saying, God, I recognize that my sin strikes right at the heart of who you are as God, of who I am as your creation, and strikes at the heart of our very relationship. David names God, I've sinned against you. He goes on to say, I know that I was born in guilt and in sin from the moment I was conceived. And, and I don't think this is so much a theological treatise at this point about the nature of original sin or depravity of humanity, as much as it is David naming that what he's dealing with, what he's addressing with God is more than momentary transgression. It's about the fact that human nature just bends towards sin. And so David, in honesty and vulnerability, names that reality before God. You know, Brian Erickson said, For our hearts to heal, we must first be honest about their brokenness. And you hear that honesty in this psalm. And then David goes on to say, God, I know you. You want truth in the hidden places in my heart. You want to teach me wisdom in the secret space inside of me. This sounds like David getting in that honest, open vulnerable place, one-on-one with God, revealing that depth of who he is that maybe he doesn't show to anybody else. Saying, God, I know that right there in me is where you want truth, where you want to teach me wisdom, where you want to bring restoration and healing. And see, that just calls to mind David's prior experience with this transgression, because what we know about David is when he sinned with Bathsheba, his initial response when it came to light was to double down, was to cover it up, was to carry on, to to keep going, to do whatever he needed to do next to protect the truth of what he had done from seeing the light of day. And yet in contrast to this attitude of just doubling down, carrying on, covering it up, arguing for it, explaining it or justifying it, in contrast to any of that, David said, God, I know that in, inside me, in the hidden places, in the secret space, in the depth of my heart, you want truth and wisdom for me. The fact is, that kind of honest reflection goes beyond the surface and the circumstances. But it goes to the root problem here, not the momentary action or transgression. But the depth of the propensity inside each and every one of us and us as a culture, a society, and a world to turn away from God, to turn towards meeting some other need, desire, goal, or even just pleasing ourselves. And Brian Erickson said as well about this that, you know, in in popular religion or popular Christianity. This practice of repentance can become more about just a list of problems than than really the existential crisis that it is. That we tend to deal more with the symptoms than endure the surgery. And the good news is David is honest and open with God and vulnerable and confessing as a part of repentance that this doesn't leave him in a place of guilt or shame or condemnation, but rather we hear in the words of the psalmist that he is able to look up and look ahead. And he asks God for two things, forgive me and make me clean, make me new, purify me, Wash me. Wipe away my wrongdoings, my guilty deeds. Make me white as snow, David says. Not long before the COVID pandemic hit, I was playing basketball with some friends as I like to do a couple mornings in the week and um, was playing like I'm younger than I am and got a little too into it and was going to the basket with the ball, and uh, another guy was playing defense, and he was also acting younger than he is, and so the end result was I got up in the air, and this guy, who's twice my size, ran into me and knocked me across the floor into the wall, and I hit the back of my head on the wall. And I, for a moment, I blacked out. Just a moment, and I came back to, and I remember as I came back to, I had my hands on the back of my head like this, because that's where I had made contact with the ball, and it was, it hurt so bad. And I was just pressing and holding it as tight as I could with my hands. And, you know, the other guys I was playing with, they'd stopped the game, obviously. And a couple of them came over, and they were trying to get me to move my hand to let them have a look at it, and I didn't want to. I was holding onto it so tightly, it hurt so bad. But as I moved my hand, they pulled my hand away, they saw the blood and told me I needed to go to the doctor right away. And so I grabbed a towel to put on it, went on and got me a bag of ice, and I drove to the doctor and went into the doctor's office and they brought me back quickly. And as he took the ice and the towel off, revealed the open wound that was bleeding, he proceeded to wash it, right, with a solution and gauze and clean it, and man, that hurt. But as he got it clean, he was able to better see what was happening, the problem, so that he could address it and repair it. And so he, he cleaned it off and he, he gave me a little medicine, you know, topical stuff around and, and then ended up with a couple of injections in the area to numb it, to care for the pain that I was feeling, and, and then he stitched it up. He actually didn't stitch it. He stapled it. So I went out with, I think, six or eight staples in the back of my head. And the staples stayed there for a while until the wound closed and healed. And then I went back and they took the staples out. I think that is so much the process of repentance. It's so much the process of having a repentant heart and a repentant spirit that even becomes a part of our living, not just an action that we undertake from time to time when we get caught, but, but a way of living. Or even though we're tempted to cover over, cover over and hold on to those things that are hurting in us, that are broken, the things about us that need to be washed and cleaned. But if we're willing to uncover them, let them be seen in the light of the day, in the light of God's grace, In the presence of God's mercy and love and compassion, if we're willing to reveal those and open those places up to God, God will do the work of washing us, of cleaning us, of revealing the hurt that is there, and then going about the work of healing it, of restoring it, of making us whole which you hear in the psalm as David's attention moves from his own brokenness and transgressions and sin. The sin that he knows is a part of who he is, but he he moves from that to a place of seeking forgiveness and God's mercy. And then asking to be cleansed, to be made new. Asking God to create in him a new heart. To renew a right spirit within him. And that's what our repentance does. It moves us out of a place of guilt and shame and condemnation and into a place of restoration and healing and wholeness. The repentant spirit allows us to look ahead and celebrate what God is doing and will do in us and among us. David said, let me hear. The joy and celebration again. Return the joy of your salvation to me. I don't know if you watched any of the inauguration, but I heard this in the words of our youth poet laureate, Amanda Gorman, when she read her poem, The Hill We Climb, that ended with these words, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. A repentant spirit makes us brave to see and be the better future. And the psalmist finishes with these words, then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. Nobody can teach repentance like a repentant person. With humility, graciousness, and kindness, I also saw, uh, in the wake of the insurrection, the siege of the Capitol, I saw an interview with Dr. Cornel West. He's a modern-day author, philosopher, professor. Um, In the interview, he was asked, what do you do, what do you say? if, If you're somebody who maybe was associated with or affiliated with or supportive of not only the current president, but the groups that had rallied, at the White House and then moved down to the Capitol. What do you do or say to somebody who, who maybe is supportive or affiliated or part of those efforts and, and didn't expect for it to go the way that it went, for it to become violent and a siege of the Capitol? But nonetheless, it did. And what would you say to somebody who's had been affiliated there? And, and I appreciated so much the words of Dr. West. He said, we have to be careful and beware in this moment of self-righteousness, of assuming a seat of superiority or judgment. And I hear the words of the psalmist that says, I'll teach wrongdoers. Your ways and sinners will come back to you. Dr. West said this, We have to be tied to truth-telling and witness-bearing, with a spirit of compassion and a spirit of embrace. But embrace does not mean uncritical deference. It means I'm here to bear witness to something bigger than me. The repentant spirit reminds us that we stand as children of God, in the mercy of God, as part of something bigger than me. A repentant spirit is vital to our reset, for ourselves, for our church, for our nation. It's not a repentance that leads to guilt or shame or condemnation. That's the devil's lie. There's no need to double down or cover up, attack, or even defend. Ours is a repentance that happens in mercy and is full of forgiveness, cleansing, and healing. Our repentant spirits unite as one repentant spirit which allows us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil and leads us to a vision for what our lives and our world can be. In Jesus' name, amen.